special time that you have with him. Isn't that great to see all of these kids? What a blessing that is. Amen. Amen. I did that. Got to get my breath here for a moment. Kind of got lost in that song. going to give them a moment to be able to get out. And parents, uh, the children are going up to the children's department uh, instead of right up here uh, where they normally, before COVID hit, uh, would be for their worship. So you'll know where to pick them up afterwards. Jesus Who is he? Well, according to scripture here in John chapter 1 and in verse 29, as John the Baptist was preaching the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sin and baptizing those who were uh, responding to that message, the scripture tells us he looked up and he saw Jesus coming to him. And at that moment, getting everybody's attention that was there in that place, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is our last study in a series of study together on trying to answer the question, what do we really know about Jesus? Who is he? And as we begin looking today, I just want to simply explore those words, just the words of John the Baptist, because in these words, the Lord through John reminds us and reveals to us the three most important needs of man. For instance, as we began looking at his words, he reminds us of the need of spiritual sight. He says to everybody around him, he says, behold. And of course, that word was used to get their undivided attention. We could say today that it's kind of like a divine highlight because what John was saying was, look, I need your total attention. I want you to put it on this man who just walked up. I want you to put your attention on him. I want you to set your eyes on him. I want you to open up your heart to this man. Why? Because he's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he wanted to reveal to them who this man Jesus was. Now, think about it with me for just a moment. In this crowd, there were possibly those already familiar with Jesus in terms of the fact that well, he's the son of Joseph, and he works with his father, and they're both are carpenters. But that's really all they knew about him, even if they were simply familiar with him. Then, of course, there were others there, I am sure, that was part of that crowd that 
didn't even know him at all, had no understanding of who he was. And so they just saw a young Galilean man who had come and joined. Everybody was there to listen to the message of John the Baptist that they needed to repent of their sins and to be baptized. So here they were in the midst of all of them was Jesus, the son of the living God. And they were clueless. They, they didn't know anything about him. And this crowd represents the vast majority of people today, this very moment, in these very seconds, who have absolutely no clue who he really is. They are familiar with his name. There are many around this world familiar with his name, Jesus or Jesus Christ, but they do not know who he is. And what they need is someone like John the Baptist, that happens to be you, and that happens to be me, to look at them, and it could be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be a fellow acquaintance, somebody you work with, those who live around you, maybe it's people you've been getting to know because your schedules continually cross one another, and they just need someone to say, behold, I want you to put your attention on someone that's very important to me. I want you to set your eyes on this person. I want you to open up your heart to this person. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me just remind you what the scripture tells us and reminds us of in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you look at that with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 beginning with verse three, just verses three and four. Paul is writing and he explains an incredible truth that we must never ever forget for those who are in our lives. It says, in whose case, talking about Christ, he said, in whose are those who are lost in whose case, the God of this world. Notice it's a little G God, which means it's no God at all. He's talking about Satan who's just a wannabe. And so he said, in whose case the little G God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so all through history, the vast, vast majority of people just did not know who Jesus is because they didn't have enough people in their life who knew, who had spiritual eyes. Look, we're here today, and by the grace of God, we all have spiritual sight. The scale's been removed from our eyes, and we know who he is. We know he's the Christ. We know he's the Savior. Maybe, possibly, everyone here hasn't accepted him as Lord and Savior, but the vast majority do not know and through history have not had enough people to step up and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not necessarily those exact words, but that message. Because you see, for them to have spiritual sight, someone has got to speak spiritual truth to them. How many times have we read, how many times have you heard uh, the scripture as it teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse 14? You, you've heard me read this. You probably have studied it, but Paul reminds, reminds us, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Now don't stumble on that word preacher. Sometimes people ask me, what do you want? Preacher, what do you want me to call you? I said, Stan. That's the name my mom gave me. It works, been working for a long time. I don't want you to get hung up on this word preacher. It's not talking about a position here. It's not talking about, hey, we've got to have more pastors. No, it's talking about we need more people who are willing to say, behold, here is Emmanuel, God with us. See, we need to remember. We need to know and remember that Jesus is Emmanuel so we can share that with others, God with us. And not just during his earthly ministry, but listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is Emmanuel in your life 24-7. Through the Holy Spirit of God who indwells you and indwells me, and Paul in his letter to the Christians in Rome, Romans chapter 8, he describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. And so I have Emmanuel, God with me, 24-7, and so do you. Praise the Lord, amen. We need to know and be reminded that he's Emmanuel, that we need to be reminded that he is king of kings over the whole kingdom of God. Right now, this one, Jesus, sits at the right hand of the Father just to remind you, and he is ruling with all authority in heaven and all authority in this earth, and he's simply calling us, calling you and calling me as followers to adapt my personal life to his uh, kingdom authority and to adapt, listen, the purpose of my life to his kingdom agenda. That's just not for me because I'm a pastor. That's for you and you. All who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you see, I need to be reminded that he is Emmanuel God, that he is king of kings, that he is also my great high priest. I mean, he's there. He is the eternal mediator between man and the eternal God and Father that is in heaven. So that means no matter where I am, no matter what it is I'm dealing with, I can approach the throne of grace in his name because he's my advocate. Hallelujah. But I need to be reminded of that. He's my Emmanuel. He's my king. He's my high priest. He is the Alpha and the Omega. As a part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He knows, he's got perfect knowledge of everything of all times. So what does that mean for us? It means that his word is the final word about everything. Don't have a witness on that, amen? So he's the Alpha and Omega. I need to be reminded he is the first and the last. There is no part of my life that he should not, listen, he should not have preeminence. And there's no other way for it to be. He's the beginning and the end. I need to be reminded of that. Because my life, my existence, my purpose, is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So I can go to someone like David before his eyes would open and say, Behold. 
I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. And only when he can hear the truth can the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, begin to open up their eyes. Nobody in that crowd with John the Baptist had any clue who this man Jesus was until John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But go back to our text because I want you to notice the second thing. Not only does he reveal the need for spiritual sight, he reveals the need for a supreme sacrifice. Oh, please listen carefully to this. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Now, I want you to circle or highlight if you're using an iPad or your iPhone, but if you're using your Bible, circle that phrase, takes away. It is critical to understanding the supreme sacrifice. When Adam and Eve sinned, in the Garden of Eden, they should have known what was happening and why. Because Jesus told them, Jesus told them that when you sin, when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means you're gonna sin against me, you're gonna die. And why is that? Because the penalty of sin is death. Romans chapter six and in verse 23, Paul just comes right out and declares that the penalty of sin is death. So this issue of sin has to be addressed. Now, think about it with me. When I hear that phrase, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, that doesn't seem radical to me. I've heard that all my life. I was blessed to be raised as Steve was with a mother and a father that had spiritual sight, they knew who Christ was, they made sure we heard that truth so that we could have spiritual sight and we could come to know Christ and so many of you the same. I mean, we've had 2,000 years since this event right here we're looking at even took place. Think of the revelation we have. And so when we hear, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that's not radical to us. That was radical to that crowd. I'm sure they were stunned. They knew what he was saying. They knew what he was implying because they knew the significance of a lamb. Because, you see, every year they had a celebration called the Passover. You've heard of the Passover? We thought this past year that we were going to have the opportunity to actually go through the Passover supper together and see how it applied to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That was canceled because of COVID, but maybe we'll have that experience again. But they would have Passover, and Passover, they would take an unblemished male lamb and they would sacrifice. They would shed its blood every morning in the temple, the morning sacrifice. They would sacrifice an unblemished male lamb, shed its blood in the evening. For the evening sacrifice, every day, 
They would sacrifice an unblemished male lamb and shed its blood. So you think through the years, thousands, thousands of lambs sacrificed. The blood was shed. Why? Because the penalty of sin is death. And the scripture tells us in Leviticus chapter 17 and in verse 11 that life is in the blood. And so it's the shedding of blood that helps deal with the issue of the penalty of sin. Now stay with me. This is important. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden after God confronted them, he took action. This is his incredible grace. He sacrificed an animal. Blood was shed because they had sinned. He had to deal. He's a holy, righteous, pure God. And he has to deal with the issue of sin and the penalty of sin. And so an animal lost its life. His blood was shed. And then he took, listen carefully to this, he took the skin of that animal and he covered the shame. Adam and Eve. You recall that once their eyes were open to good and evil, that they saw their nakedness, they had shame. They tried to cover that up with fig leaves. We try all kinds of things, do we not? But none of it was adequate. It had to have the shedding of blood. And then he covered their shame with the skin of that animal. From that point on until, are you listening? Say amen. amen. Until the fullness of time, which is when the Lamb of God was here. There were thousands upon thousands of sacrifices, listen carefully, that covered sin. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says the Lamb of God that takes away sin. Look at, with me in Psalms 32 for just a moment. Psalms 32 and, and in verse 1 where uh, David is writing here about dealing with transgressions, dealing with our iniquity, dealing with our sin, all these words to help describe this incredible issue we all have. And it says, how blessed is he, verse 1, how blessed he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Not taken away. Covered. So all the thousands of lambs that were slain and sacrificed and their blood spilt, Passover and every day, their blood, because the penalty of sin is death and blood had to be shed, only covered their sin. Did not take it away. It only covered it until the supreme lamb in the fullness of time came, Jesus Christ. And then his shed blood took it away 
Look with me in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. And notice how this is described for us in this passage of scripture. Verses 11 and 12. Listen carefully. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, listen to what he says, which can never take away sin. Can cover it. They can't take away sin. But, verse 12, he, Jesus, the Lamb of God, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, then sat down at the right hand of the Father. See, it took a supreme sacrifice. Not the lambs here. I might call it the lamb of man. It took the lamb chosen by God. The supreme sacrifice. And since that day, there has never and will never need for us to have another sacrifice for sin. For sin. Let me share with you a possibility. And I emphasize the possibility, I don't know. But I think sometimes God, the way God works just fascinates me because he's in the details. You know, God's in the details. Jesus was born in what city? Bethlehem, right? Right outside of Bethlehem in that time, there was a field and there were shepherds who took care of a very specific flock of sheep. All the sheep in that flock, all the male sheep in that flock were to be sacrificed at the temple. So obviously they kept a close eye because it had to be an unblemished male lamb that had to be sacrificed. And so the shepherds were there taking care of a very special flock. And one of the tools that they had was a tower that was called the Tower of the Flock. And in that tower, the, some of the shepherds would be there so they could look down while there were other shepherds in the field. But in the bottom of that tower was a stable. I've always wondered when I've read the story of the birth of Christ, how did the shepherds know where to go to find Jesus? Well, I don't know. I want to say that very clearly. But wouldn't it be just like God? Wouldn't it be just like him to have the supreme lamb born in the same stable where the lambs are born and prepared for the sacrifice in the temple? And when that lamb was born, a male lamb, they would literally wrap it, is this phrase familiar, swaddling clothes? Now that literally means strips of cloth 
just like when a, when a child is born now, and if you're a grandparent, you don't get to see them right away. You know that. But when you do, they have them so wrapped up, don't they? So tight. There's a reason for that. And the reason they would do this, especially the male lambs, is so that they would not hurt themselves because they had to be unblemished. So wouldn't it be, in my sanctified imagination, wouldn't it be just like God, who's in the details, to have Jesus born in that same stable, wrapped in swaddling the supreme lamb around all the other lambs that were a man, but he being a God to take away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, we won't turn there because of time. I just, that's a reference to Jesus being the Passover lamb. But I do want you to look with me in 1 John chapter 2, and in verse 2. And as John here is describing Jesus, he says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours alone, but also for those of the whole world. Of the whole world. Now that word propitiation is a big word, a theological word. If you were to look it up, it just simply means to appease God. If you leave that right there, you kind of come away thinking, well, what it means is that God in his holiness and righteousness knew that there was only one sacrifice. There was only one lamb, the supreme lamb, the lamb that he chose, the lamb of God, who could pay in full for the sins of the world. Meet all the requirements. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus didn't die on Calvary just to display the love of God. It is. It's the incredible display of the love of Almighty God for us. But Jesus died on the cross of Calvary to deliver us from the cost of sin. Can I remind you about sin? Sin's going to take you further than you ever thought you would go. Sin will keep you there longer than you were planning to stay. And sin is going to cost you more than you could ever, ever, ever repay. That's why we needed Jesus, the Lamb of God. The need for spiritual sight, the need for supreme sacrifice, and I close with this, the need for a sufficient salvation. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Did you notice that the word for sin here is singular? It's not plural. But it uses the definite article, not a sin, but the sin 
of the world. What does that mean? Every sin. From the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, all through history, the trillions and trillions of sin that man has committed before a holy, righteous, gracious God who is merciful, all these trillions of sins are the very last sin that man ever commits, Jesus was sufficient enough to pay the penalty in full for every single one of them. That don't mean everybody's going to be saved. But it's why I do believe in unlimited atonement. Because this is how he can say, whosoever. 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 He comes. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said in John chapter 1 and in verse 12, to as many whosoever will receive him, yet become children of God forever. To receive him doesn't mean just to receive him intellectually. There's multitudes of like that. Many of them are in churches, but they've never gone beyond that. It means to receive him internally. It means more than just believing him to be who he is, but it's believing in him by, listen carefully, by the grace of God, through faith, acknowledging and accepting that the sacrifice of the Lamb of God is the only sacrifice and the only hope for the issue of sin, that he paid for it all in full. That's why he can say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, the Lamb of God. But here's the question. Who are you telling behold to? Who are you? I'm asking myself, who am I? And I'm saying, behold, Emmanuel, behold, King of kings, behold, Lord of lords, behold, great high priest, behold, Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Behold the Lord, behold the Lamb of God who has taken away Unless they hear, they have no chance of spiritual sight to know who Jesus is. That's your calling. That's my calling. The question is, who are we going to share the whole with? So, Father God, Lord Jesus, I know, I know, I just scratched the surface. These things that we've looked at, these names and these positions and the power and the sovereignty of all of who you are, oh, Lord Jesus. And we keep it to ourselves.
Oh, we keep it within the body. And yet you have commissioned us to declare, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. I have no idea what the meal is tonight. Or what else is going to happen tonight? I hope to see. There she goes again, interrupting me again.